Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. This morning's Bible reading is taken from the Gospel according to John chapter 15 from verse 1 to 13. Um, I'll end the reading by saying, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Listen as I read the word of God. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Bella. Good morning, everyone. All right. Um, we're continuing our series, the uh, John series. Uh, we're trying to see the person of Jesus Christ through the book of John. If you're here for the first time, um, what we've been doing as we started, we, we, we started this church really early this year, and the first series that we're doing is going through the book of John. We want to understand who the person of Jesus is, because if we understand who the person of Jesus is, we will truly understand who we are. John says that he wrote this book for us to know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and if we believe in that, we'll have eternal life. So the knowledge of who Jesus is has something to do with who we are and also what, how we live and what our destiny is. And so going through this book, I think this is the 13th uh, sermon on this, we've been discovering so many different things. I'd encourage you, if you want to catch up with some of the 
uh, sermons that we preached on these, just go to our SoundCloud page and just check for the Gospel in Lagos, and you can find this Believe and Live series, all right? So, but let's go into what we want to do today. Let me ask this question. How do you want to be remembered? Now, some of us are probably are not thinking, or most of us will not be thinking about this question because we don't feel that we are at that age where we should be thinking about this question, but you should. First of all, we don't know when, you know, so any of us is going to exit this world. We have no guarantees on the amount of years that we'll spend. But at the same time, it probably affects how you do things. So let me ask you another question. How would you want to be remembered? Maybe an ex as an exceptional lawyer or a kind-hearted person. An excellent analyst or an extremely generous person. A fantastic cook or a wonderful encourager. On point makeup or a beautiful character. Now, I suspect most of us will, or at least you should be saying this is what I, wa I want to remember. It probably is the second um, uh, in each of those comparisons. You know, a kind heart, being generous, a wonderful encourager, or a beautiful character. Most of us will be thinking that is how we would eventually, maybe if our friends or family members gather at our funeral, we we'll want them, at least, if we had to think of one thing, for them to identify those things in us. But if that's the case, which of these two do we spend more time developing? The New York Times columnist and author David Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, called the first resume virtues, and then the second he called eulogy virtues. Resume virtues, all the skills and everything that we want to use to apply for jobs, but eulogy virtues are really the things that we hope are said at our funerals. Now, the way the Negotiation Society is designed, our educational systems, our motivational speeches, even our Christian sermons are mainly geared towards developing the resume virtues because we consider them to be of better utilitarian value. They are more uh, important to us in the immediate. Now, don't get me wrong. Christianity does not say that the development of our resume virtues are unimportant. I mean, how could it? It's God that gives us these skills. But it does say that if you ignore the eulogy virtues, this leads to dishonoring God, you diminish humanity, and ultimately leads to disaster. So in our Christian lingo, if you are not familiar with it, developing the or living out the eulogy virtues can be termed as bearing fruit. That's the title of this sermon, all right? So, let me say a little bit about the context of the passage that Bola read for us, this John 15, 1 to 13. If you notice in verses 1 and 5, and this is a very famous passage, Jesus twice identifies himself as the vine. In fact, the first one he says, I am the true vine. Next one he says, I am the vine. He identifies himself as the vine. Now, he was saying something staggering to the Jewish people at that time. And anyone familiar with their Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, will know that he's saying something very radical. What is he saying? Now, if you look at numerous Old Testament passages, let me read two of them, in the Psalms and Jeremiah, Israel, God's own people, are referred to as the vine. Psalm 80 verse 8 says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, referring to the exodus of Egypt. 
or Jeremiah 2.21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? So when Jesus is saying I'm the true vine, he's saying something exceptional. He's saying, in essence, that he is the new vine, and together with those connected to him, that is, the branches, God is building a new people to replace old Israel. In other words, Jesus and his new people, or Jesus and his branches, are the new Israel. So it is a communitarian context, this whole passage. And it's in this communitarian context, still within the whole farewell discourse from John 14 to John 17, or John 13 to John 16, it is still within this communitarian context that he then discusses this issue of Christian maturity, or what you can call bearing fruit. And I want us to respect that context and the three headings that we're going to look at to consider what it is to grow in character, to bear fruit, we reflect that. So we're looking at, A, one, a fruitless community, two, a fruitful community, and three, a gospel community. A fruitless community, a fruitful community, and a gospel community. So let's start with the first one, a fruitless community. What makes a community? When I say that community over there, our community of people, you know, uh, um, oftentimes some of us will have maybe uh, those domestic workers working for you and they're going off and they say they're going to meet their community. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, a community is more than just, say, 20 people, they gather together and they come and gist and gossip about the latest thing. It's not just about the people. It's about their goals and aspirations. It's about the rules that govern how they interact with one another. It's about the achievements they make as long as they've been together. It's about the meeting location and the legacy. How many of us know the Rotary Club? Do you remember Rotary Club? Uh, yeah, they're not probably, they're really faded out of glory. But whenever you thought of the Rotary Club, to be honest, most of the time when I was growing up, I didn't even know where they met. But you see something donated, you know, on the street or whatever, built by the Rotary Club. That is something that's come out of that community. So when we identify the community of the Rotary Club, we don't just think of the people who are there, but we think of all these different things. How is it that they relate to themselves? What are the rules of engagement? That's what makes up a community. So a community is the people plus all the things I have just mentioned. However, you still need to describe the people because the nature of the people, the character of the people, is absolutely fundamental to what the community becomes. So I'm not saying it's only the people, but I'm saying the kind of people that are in that community is fundamental to who they are. And so in this context, for instance, if we are talking about a fruitless community, well, a fruitless community will be made up of what? Fruitless people. And Jesus talks about fruitlessness here. In verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I, as I also remain in you, but no branch can bear fruit by itself. What does he mean by that? Now, the first thing I want to say is that this whole analogy of the you know, fruitlessness and fruitfulness, it's not, even though we can talk about it, but it's not really talking about the person who is not 
connected to Jesus. In other words, this passage is not really addressing people who would identify themselves as non-Christians. Because if you notice in verse uh, 2, it says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So, in other words, at least this will be people that identify as Christians. This word really is for people who would identify as Christians. I want us to think about three categories of people that I think we can identify here that will be branches that, can, that, branches that, um, that try to bear fruit by themselves. Branches that try to bear fruit by themselves. The three categories are the disconnected branches, artificial branches, and imaginary branches. Disconnected, artificial, or imaginary. Who are disconnected branches? Remember it says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. In other words, this is a branch that is not connected to a vine. It's on its own. Who would this be? This would be Lone Ranger Christians. Now, if you're that kind of person here, I would say, look, I understand you. You know, you don't want to be connected to any church. You, it's really you and Jesus. And there will be reasons for it. Maybe you've been hurt by the church as you were growing up. Maybe you behaved in a particular way and people just looked down on you. You came into the church, everybody was looking at you. Uh, one auntie came, why are you wearing chain? It's only drug pushers that wear chain. The other one saying, don't you know that women's skirts have to be, you know, below the knee? You know, all these different things. Someone hurt you in the church, you were going out with someone in the church and actually the person uh, broke up with you and everybody else blamed you in the church. So many different things. And so because of that, you are a branch that is not connected to the vine. Maybe you think that I would like to be, but you see, the kind of lifestyle that I live, you know, maybe the kind of occupation that I have, it means that I really cannot be connected to anyone. Or maybe you just feel like, you know what, I don't like people being up in my business. And church people specialize and have the, fruit, uh, the spiritual gift of being up in our business. Say, look, I love Jesus but I don't think I can do the whole church thing. Now, I want to say that that is, again, it is very, very understandable. But it's still not an excuse. You see, because if you say you love Jesus and I'm connected to the vine, this presupposes that you're also connected to the other branches through the vine. I'll say that again. If you say, look, I love Jesus, I'm connected to the vine. I'm connected to the vine. But if you're connected to the vine, you are also connected to the other branches through the vine. To say that you love Jesus without the context of the local church is really sub-Christian. Those who will be disconnected branches lack something. They lack love. What do I mean by that? Say, no, no, how, can you, how dare you tell me that? I know I have love. I sorry, how, how do you know you have love? You say, because I feel that I have love. Say, well, you know. That could be indigestion and not love. I don't mean that rudely, but let me put it this way. You can't say that you truly have love if you have no context, no committed context to express that love. It is when you are tested to show patience that comes out of love that you can really say that, I have love. But if you stand aloof from afar and say, you know what, I just love that person. Ah, the person came close to you. Ah, that person has body odor. Don't come near me, but I still love you. You see, it is in the context of Jesus' body that you find that these imperfect people, 
These people that are up in your business, these people that actually call you at all times, these people that just won't leave you alone, it is in how you relate to those people that you can tr show true love. Remember, Jesus says, this is my command, that you should love each other. How are you going to do that? This is why in City Church, our three values, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. But when you think about the first value, love Jesus, you cannot really understand that except what we're doing with this month, our theme for the month, love people, loving his people. So that's the disconnected branch. What about the artificial branches? Last year, um, in our house, the best time, I'm sure many of you people, many of your, your houses, the best time of the year, you know, if you just want to catch me in a good mood, throughout, just throughout, if you want to collect money from me, if you want to, you know, just see me saying, Christmas time is the best time of the year. It's just, you know, it's the season to be, to be jolly, you know? And so it was the season to be jolly, and, you know, I felt like splurging, you know, because that's what it is. I, I was, you know, I felt like I was paid up, you know, saw anyone, how are you? Just take 3K, you know, just take 5K. So I was feeling very jolly, and my wife, you know, this kind of thing, I look at my wife and I say, you are my bride. What do you want? Just tell me, even if it's half of my kingdom. <laughs> so it was Christmas time, and my, my wife wanted something. She wanted, and my children, they wanted a Christmas tree. Isn't that nice? I said, go to spa. Get the biggest Christmas tree you can find. She went to spa. She didn't come back with the Christmas tree. Because the biggest Christmas tree she could find would have probably wiped off half of her salary. And she's a very wise woman. She knew she didn't have to use the card that way. Now, but the Christmas tree is a very interesting thing, isn't it? One of the traditions you have, if you've got a Christmas tree, is the Decorating of the Christmas tree, right? Where we put the lights on the Christmas tree, and then we hang those those nice uh, fruits, those round things, right? On, eh? we call them fruits, just for the sake of whatever. Those things we hang them on the Christmas tree, and everything looks beautiful. Now, when we hang them, what do we do? The Christmas tree has these branches that are coming out, right? Yeah, I know they are hideous things, but we still love them, and we put these colorful things on them. And in many ways, this is how these artificial branches are. The fruit does not grow out of the branch. The fruit is pinned to the branch. It's artificially hooked on the, on the branch. These will be legalistic Christians. That is, people who try in their own strength to produce the fruit. Look at it again in verse, um, verse um, 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but these people try to bear the fruit by themselves. You want to pin the fruit on yourselves. So you are trying to produce all these rules. You are trying to keep uh, God in your, um, um, you, you want God to owe you something by keeping all these rules. And in fact, you even make up more rules than the Bible actually says you should make up, or the Bible actually prescribes. You see, the thing is that they try to keep all the rules to earn their standing. They bear fruit as a means to con get connected to the vine. I'll say that again. They bear fruit as the means to get connected to the vine. But we know this, just in normal agriculture, that connection to the vine precedes fruit bearing. It is because that branch is connected to the vine that eventually it bears fruit. You cannot bear the fruit before you then get connected to 
the branch. In other words, character is the fruit of being a real Christian, not the other way around. You see, these people, though they put in a lot of obedience, they are enslaved to that obedience. And this kind of Christianity ultimately does not produce joy, as we see in verse 11. It's without joy. Because to keep all these commandments actually strains you. You know, why would God tell me to be all, well, at least I have to be good so that I can get these things. And then you look at other people who are not keeping the commandments like you. They don't have the same hairstyle like you. You look at those ones that paint their hair. You just say, no, 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 this must be a prostitute. This. All those different things. It doesn't produce. You are obeying, but it doesn't produce joy in you. The first lacks uh, the first lack love. The second lack joy. Third, imaginary branches. Imaginary branches. By, by imaginary, I mean they will tell you that we are connected to the uh, to the um, to the vine, but in reality they are not. Who are these kind of Christians? These are licentious Christians. That is, those who say, you know what? Hey, you know. I'm, 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 I am walking in freedom. It is, look, it's not about what I do. It's about what Christ has done. In other words, you're talking about grace. I will show you different levels of grace. So these are Christians who would say they are Christians because, look, it's not by works. It's by trusting in God. It's by faith. It's not by works. So you're a Christian, but you regularly sleep with people that you shouldn't be sleeping with. You watch porn. You are very profane with the words that you use. You are very, very egotistic. You are very miserly with your money. You show contempt for the poor, idolatrous in your ambition. You express rage regularly. You hold to your own view of morality. In fact, you say, you know what? Holiness is just passe. That was for those Christians in that time, you know, those legalistic guys. But we, right now, we are walking in power. We're walking in different realms of, you know, righteousness is not, righteousness is not about doing things. Righteousness is a person. Truth is not about what you, truth is a person. So you come up with all these different things. You do all of these and yet you say that you are a Christian because after all you pray a lot, you attend church, especially special programs a lot, you speak in tongues a lot, and you only play gospel music. And you use these things to then say, I am obviously connected to the vine. Now, in the, with the last ones, yes, it is true that we said connection precedes fruit bearing. Yes. But it cannot be without it. Look at verse 8b. It says, you show yourselves to be my disciples indeed because you bear much fruit. You and I, as Christians, cannot see the heart of people. We only discern the hearts of people as we see their actions. We can only know who loves Jesus because they keep his commands. Verse 9b, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Jesus does not speak about his love in some kind of airy-fairy manner, some kind of esoteric Man, I just had a wonderful relationship with Jesus this morning. We are just so connected in love. Jesus was in me. I was in him. It was just so beautiful. You still didn't keep his commands, did you? You don't love Jesus. And that's what he's saying. The connection with Jesus is not wholly 
mystic, mystical. It, are, it, it works itself out in bearing fruit. If the first lacked love and the second lacked obedience, uh, lacked um, joy, the third lacked obedience. Now, a community made up of fruitless Christians eventually is a fruitless community. Jesus is so clear. And I really want to say this because this is the order of the day in our city. Hardly do you meet, I hardly meet anyone that will claim that he is not a Christian. But quite often, the kind of what some will call nominalism that breeds in our city, because of the energy, we assume that, you know what, as long as we are, our worship is so expressive, as long as um, my Christianity, I kind of put it all over my face, that means that I'm a Christian. But actually, the heart of being a Christian is that we bear fruit. And let me say something even much more serious. Jesus is clear about the identity of these pseudo-Christians by pointing to their destiny. Look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. In fact, it's really, it's even starker in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. In other words, God is saying, or Jesus is saying, there is no, ultimately there is no difference between pseudo-Christianity and non-Christianity. The destiny is the same. Eternal misery. Please don't dismiss that too quickly. But you said to me, well, you said, but Femi, it's really hard in Lagos. It's really hard in Lagos to bear fruit. You on the road, you don't know the people that I work with. You don't know the husband that I have. You don't know the neighbors that I have. Always banging music every single time, waking up the piece or whatever. It is so difficult to bear fruit. And I would say that's the more reason you should be connected to the vine and be part of a fruitful community. Because if a fruitless community is made up of fruitless people, a fruitful community is made up of fruitful people. Now, let's, here's what that looks like. Let's go to the second point, a fruitful community. Now, I must say this very quickly. We are not talking, especially this passage, is not necessarily, primarily telling you how to become a Christian, but it's expressing how we are Christians. Or how, sorry, it's not telling you essentially how to become a Christian, but how we behave as Christians. To be a Christian is to be connected to the vine. That is achieved by trusting in Jesus. But being a Christian is for you to be fruitful. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's not by bearing fruit that you get connected, but if you are connected, you bear fruit. So how do I become more fruitful? Well, the passage shows us one thing, and this, um, this must, it must be said in this context. Whatever he's going to prescribe to us must be done to God's glory. Verse 8a, this is to my Father's glory. And he does that by showing us that the only way you get fruitful is that the whole Godhead, that is the Trinity that we've been seeing in this book, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
is involved, is involved. So there are three ways it shows us to get more fruitful. So that you, you have fruit, but actually you want us to be more fruitful. Three ways, imitation, pruning, and connection. Imitation, pruning, and connection. Let's talk about imitation. Yesterday, with a few friends around the house, my wife was showing me something absolutely fascinating. Timilei, our second child is um, January, February, March. So he's 15 months? 14 months? 15. Well, it's one of them. It doesn't really matter. He's, he's 15 months. And watching how he grows is fascinating. Now, he spends a lot of time with the maids, and the maids spend a lot of time talking on the phone. And so Tosi was showing me, Tosi was showing me, you know, he, we just saw him on the floor, and he put, he, he put his hand, his left hand on his ear, and then he starts saying, ta 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 And he's doing it over and over and over and over again. Now, he didn't learn that from the womb. But well, that would be very strange if he did. He's looked at people, blessed, um, goodness and, um, and Vivian, he looks at them on the phone, and he watches them, and he watches them, and he feels that must be something that is important, and so I'm going to do the same thing. The first way human beings learn is by imitation. Babies observe, and then they do. But let me tell you something. It's not just the first way human beings learn. Imitation is the most effective way of teaching. Most things are better caught than they are taught. In fact, our, our whole education system is based on this whole information dump way of thinking, which came from the Western world because of the Industrial Revolution of the of, of 19th century. Basically, we're just preparing people to be able to do a particular thing. So come in. This is what we want you to do. 5 plus 5 is 10. 5 plus 5 is 10. Say it again. 5 plus 5. You know, we just keep dumping information. You finish all of that, and you do the exam, and you got 60%. You can move on to the next thing. But most of us don't learn that way. I'm giving you somewhat. I'm giving you information now through preaching, isn't it? You will not remember this thing by the time it's Tuesday, most of what I have said. But let me tell you what you remember. Lord, rain in me, rain. Because somebody else is doing it, you're imitating, you're hearing the sounds. All those things are being embedded in our hearts. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for information dumping. It's very, very important or else I'll be out of a job. And my wife won't like that. But imitation by far outstrips this. Listen to another quote that I got from the book, uh, David Brooks' book. He says, what a wise person teaches is the smallest part of what they give. The totality of their life, of the way they go about it in the smallest details, is what gets transmitted. The totality of their life, or let me say it again, what they say or teach is the smallest part of what they give. But the totality of their life, of the way they go about it in the smallest details, is what gets transmitted. Paul says, you have known my way of life. And in fact, he tells uh, young Timothy, he said, yes, watch your life and your doctrine, both what you say and how you behave. That is the way you will save yourself and those who hear you. And in this passage, we are then told to learn from the wisest of all. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 12, my command is this. Love each other. How? 
as I have loved you. We are meant to imitate Jesus. We look at Jesus. Have you never been? There are certain people I'm sure you've encountered in your life, and you just say, I wish I was like this person. The person doesn't lose their temper easily. The person always seems to be under control. Someone says a terrible word to them. They respond back in love. We sang today, um, let my life reflect, reflect the beauty of your love. There's something, there's an inner beauty of people who have moral impeccability. None more so than Jesus. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Look at my life. Can I tell you that you're not going to know really about Jesus through the Jesus in your dreams? I don't care how many times Jesus speaks to you in your dreams or through a vision. The best way for you to know Jesus is through his, author his authoritative word. If you truly want to say, I, I want to be more fruitful, I want to be more fruitful, I want to be more fruitful, well, the book is in front of you. Learn about the most fruitful person there's ever been by watching his life. Second is pruning. Notice in verse 1, it says that the father is a gardener. Now, pruning basically is something that gardeners do. They kind of, um, they get rid of excess weeds, uh, right? They get rid of, they cut them or the ones that are already dead or overgrown branches and stems. They cut it off, send it away. Why? To encourage growth. And so he says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Now notice that pruning is, there's some cutting off that is involved. It is the work of the father to shape us so that we can be more fruitful. He's, he's, he's so involved, he's so the Father wants us to be more fruitful. In other words, he wants us to advance in our spiritual growth. But notice that this advancement is not always smooth. And we know this. We know that most times we've learned the best things that we've learned, not through ease, but through adversity. Many times our character is built because we go through the fire. This is how James says it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces fruit-bearing, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What produces that? It is the Father working through the trials that we face. Because quite often, sometimes we go through these trials and we only shout, God, why? God, why? We fail to learn what God is taking us through. The Bible does not say that adversity is wonderful. It's the fruit and what adversity produces because the Father is working it. So we never go out and say pain is so nice. Of course it's not nice. If you say that, you're a liar. And, that, and the Bible says that all liars go to hell. Okay, no, no, that's what, that's what we say to our children. But anyway, it says something like that. But pain is not nice, but it is the product. If we submit ourselves, the Father disciplines us because we're his children. If we submit ourselves to his pruning, through whatever adversity it takes us, that disappointment of that particular contract you are, you are chasing, 
That difficulty that you're still going through your marriage, I'm not saying that it's nice. You should cry out for deliverance, but please don't forget the lesson. Don't waste your suffering. The Father uses it to shape us and brings about character formation. Many times we go through a particular bit of suffering. We, we wonder, what does this thing mean? What purpose is this serving in my life? Only for two years after for you to say, now I understand. If I didn't go through that, I won't be like this. Quite often, the meaning of a particular event of suffering is only discerned through the character formation that we have after. God is shaping our lives to conform us to the image of his son, the, the example. Third one is connection. Now, unity to the vine means that the life to bear fruit, the life to bear fruit doesn't come from us. The branch in itself doesn't have the life. The branch gets its life from what? The vine. If you cut off the, the, the branch, what happens to the vine? Nothing. The vine still has life, right? But what happens to the branch? The branch cannot receive life again. When we are connected, uh, the branch being connected to the vine, for us as Christians, that means that we are actually united to Christ. Let me use a big word. It, does, it, it, it shows our ontological connection to Christ. By that I mean that we say to be a Oh, stop it. To be a Christian, to be a Christian is to be united to Christ by faith, yes. But that unity that we have in Christ by faith, there is also a real connection to Christ. A real connection to Christ. And that is achieved, though it's not explicitly stated here, is achieved by the Holy Spirit. Think of our previous sermon. Okay, let me explain it further. This vine branches analogy, the vine branches unity, the analogy, is stated by another biblical New Testament writer, Paul, in another way. He talks about, in 1 Corinthians 12, of the body and members' unity, where Christ is the head. We are the body of Christ, and each of us there are members. But he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Our connection, the life that we get as we are in Christ, is done or carried out by the spirit that lives in us. That is why in Galatians 5.22, when he's talking about the character of a Christian, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is not an exhaustive list, by the way. But it's saying that it doesn't come from you. It comes as the Spirit works in you. As the Spirit gives you the life, as the Father does the pruning, in reflection on the Son. This is how we bear fruit. But notice it is in the body. It is in the community of sins. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to provoke one another unto love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10. We need the eternal life. That is why it says in John chapter 3 that we uh, consider that this is what it means to be born again or to be baptized in the Spirit. The life of the Spirit then is worked out from, out from us. 
But that life, that fruit, is also what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or it means to be godly. So it is only with that that we can then have the joy. We can joyfully and lovingly pursue all the spiritual disciplines that enable us to become mature Christians. I have spoken about what God does, but God only does it as we also put ourselves under through practicing spiritual discipline. By that I mean, get yourself into the word of God. Don't tell me you don't understand my schedule. I don't, but God does. And God wrote the Bible, and the Bible is meant to be for all of us, for all eternity. God knows your schedule, and God is saying, because of your schedule, that's why you shouldn't neglect my word. Because of your schedule, that's why you shouldn't neglect prayer. Because of your schedule, that is why you should not neglect the gathering of God's saints. Why? If you don't, you will not be connected to the vine. You will try to be bearing fruit on your own. It is only when we can truly see a fruitful community of sacrificial love that people then start laying down their lives for one another, as we see in verse 13. So a fruitful community consists of fruitful people. Now, after rush, let's go to the third point. Someone will say, but is this possible? This sacrificial loving community, joyful community that you've described is very attractive, but it's not realistic. It's all airy-fairy stuff. It's in theory. Besides, if Jesus becomes the standard to imi imitate, without which, if you don't imitate Jesus, perfectly, then you are doomed, then we'll all be doomed. You might as well begin throwing all the available branches into the fire, because this is way too burdensome. How am I going to just fully imitate Jesus? And that's the way I become part of the fruitful community. You want to gather fruitful people as the basis of forming this community. That is too far-fetched. And I'll say, I agree with you. The fruitful community, the basis of bringing the fruitful community to life is not by just getting, looking for all available fruitful people in their silos and bringing them together. That is just not the way. So how is it then possible, you ask? Well, it's possible because of the story of another branch. Let me quickly tell you about this branch. Now, in the Old Testament, right, there was a prophecy about another branch. So consider Zechariah 6, verse 12. It says, tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. So we're told about this branch who is a temple builder. Now, Zechariah, after the exile, and now the one to return from the exile, is saying this, but he's riffing off. Jeremiah, a previous prophet, who prophesied before the exile. And Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, 15 says, In those days at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. Now, if he's, if he's coming out of David's line, then that means he's of the royal lineage. So this branch is a king that is going to come in David's line, a Davidic king, who would also be a temple builder. Does that ring any bell? Let's go back to John. In John chapter 2, our book, there was a time Jesus was walking around, his disciples, and there were Jews around him, and he looked at the temple there, and he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. I will raise it again in three days. Well, raising it again, that means that 
He's saying that he can build a temple, right? But hang on. The temple was built in 46 years by people. And you, one person wants to raise it up in three days? But Jesus, or John, reflecting on what Jesus said later, said, verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. In other words, he was saying this temple will be destroyed and will come back three days. He wasn't talking about that temple. Remember, what is the temple? The temple is the meeting place between God and man. In Exodus 25, they created this mobile temple called the tabernacle. And God said he will meet with them, speak to them in the holiest place of the tabernacle where the ark was. And that was a mobile temple because they were journeying to the promised land. By the time they got to the promised land, they built a temple where they met with God. But after that temple was destroyed, it was brought back again, but it was a shadow of itself. And so this temple building that Zechariah was talking about could not have been that other temple that was rebuilt. Because it was a pale shadow of itself. And that's why in John chapter 1, we said that Jesus, the word, is also God. But the word came and tabernacled with us. And now here in John 2, he's saying he, the temple was his body. And he's saying that in his death, that temple was destroyed, but it was to raise up again a new temple after his life, his resurrection. Let me put it this way. This branch, this the branch, was thrown into the fire in place of all the fruitless branches that then trust in him. So that now, if we trust in him, they can grow out from him who is the new branch or the new temple. Jesus Christ becomes the new vine when he rises from the dead. And then brings about the sucking of the old vine, which is the Jews. And that is why he calls us to the greatest love of laying our lives down for one another. Because he first laid down his life for us. This is the gospel. In other words, what I'm saying is the birthing of a fruitful community is not by gathering new fruitful people together. The birthing of the fruitful community is only made possible because it is first a gospel community. And so the, it means that the pressure is not on us to be perfect or to be all made up. That is not how you become part of the community. You become part of the community because someone else who was fruitful, bore your condemnation for being fruitless. And now you can live out your fruitfulness, not being under that condemnation. Now your obedience can be lived out in joy. Your obedience can be lived out in serving his people. Your obedience can be lived out out of gratitude towards him. You see, it's only when we obey the gospel with it's only when we obey with the gospel inside that we can truly find joy and lovingly lay down our lives for branches who are not like us, who annoy us, but who love us as well. At City Church, we try to live this out practically through our, you guessed it right, gospel communities. Now, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm Certainly not saying this is the only place that you can live it out. But what I'm saying is that if you are part of this church or you want to be part of this church, really being part of this church is not just being part on Sunday. It means gathering around, 
trying to be in life with people, trying to know people, trying to settle your issues with people, trying to admonish people, trying to love them, crying with them, rejoicing with them. You cannot obey some of these commands. Read uh, Romans chapter 12. You cannot obey any of those commands by being a lone ranger Christian or being a legalistic Christian or being a licentious Christian. But if you come based on the gospel, your life is in the gospel. You know the Holy Spirit uh, uh, gives you life. You are looking at Jesus, the epitome of beauty. And you're under the loving, pruning hand of the Father. If we all aspire and continue to be like that, this will not only be a gospel community, it will also be a fruitful community. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. We thank you, Jesus, because you did not only lay down your life for us as friends, but you laid down your life for us as enemies. We rejected you, we spat on you, we did not behave in the way that pleases you, and yet you laid down your life for us. Help us to be more fruitful and help us to lay down our lives for our friends. Help us to be people that want to please you, that being part of the culture and all those things and it's not the first thing that pleases them that is on our mind but to please you to bear fruit knowing the warning that those who do not bear fruit in you are cut off but also looking at the beauty of it growing out of this wonderful vine to help our communities and to help our city we ask that you help us to be that individually and collectively through jesus christ our lord we pray amen for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.